You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1227 of the Lot on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday. And today's podcast will touch on what became a pretty brutal performance from the Hawks in this spot. 110 to 86, a home loss for Atlanta in game four against the Miami Heat. And with this loss, now down 3-1 in the series. Not over, let's just say, at the top of this podcast. The series is not over, but certainly not the greatest performance in the world. And the Hawks were uh, leading this game early on only to have a big run as it has happened a couple times in this series, a 15-0 run and a 26-4 overall push from Miami late in the first half. And from there, the Hawks never recovered. They were down double digits the entire rest of the game, down 19 at the end of the third quarter, and then down by 20-plus in the fourth. So we'll touch on all of that and certainly in the mix here, what was a pretty bad performance on offense from Atlanta from almost top to bottom in this spot. Trey Young with a weirdly passive, quiet game at a bad time for him after a fantastic season for Trey, which has to be said. But Certainly uh, all kinds of angles in this game and the broad strokes is that the Hawks now have a huge challenge on their hands having to go down to Miami to win two of the next three on the road plus holding serve in game six if they want to advance, keep the season alive. So um, as always on this podcast, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. And uh, what we do on this show is go through, especially with, with these postgame episodes, talking about all of the context from pregame to how the game actually transpired during the game, my own observations, and then some player breakdowns later on in the show about who played well, who didn't. In this game, most guys did not play well. I'll just say that ahead of time. Um, some overall takeaways from the performance, and then we'll briefly look ahead to uh, game five, which looms again on Tuesday. Quick turnaround there with the Hawks having to travel down to Miami. So on today's show, the first thing we'll touch on is that uh, Click Capella came back from the Hawks. That was the, uh, if you want to have one positive from the day overall, you would say that Capella coming back uh, fits that bill. He had not played, of course, in the first three games of the series after suffering the injury against Cleveland in the play-in. Um, he was upgraded questionable. There was some buzz positively during the day on Sunday. In fact, it would have been kind of been a surprise to me by the time we got to tip-off time if he did not play in this game, but ended up being upgraded. And uh, as McMillan said after the game, I thought Capella played reasonably well. He wasn't a huge you know, game changer by any means, but defensively he did his job on the glass, etc. Looked like himself for the most part, not 100% by any means. Kind of like John Collins in the series where those guys are not 100% definitely. But if nothing else, he definitely brings some uh, stuff that nobody else has on this Hawks roster between size, rebounding, rim protection, etc. So uh, above all else, just a huge win. If you asked me um, the night of the injury to Capella in the play-in, if he played in game four of the first-round series, I would have been a little bit surprised in a positive direction. So it's really good to have Clint back on the floor, if nothing else. Um, but you know, as the Haw- as I said before, the Hawks were 21 and three coming into the night in their last 24 games at home, and they were kind of maybe due for one of these, but still not what you want to see uh, with, with sort of the season on the line in some respects. Lou Williams still out for the Hawks. He's not played in uh, about three weeks now. No update there really at all on Lou. Uh, for Miami, Kyle Lowry did not play in this game. We talked about that a little bit on yesterday's show or two days ago's show on Friday night when Lowry left the game early, and that definitely helped the Hawks a little bit over the top at the end of game three. But Lowry did not play in this one with the hamstring issue. We don't really know an update on him beyond game four, but uh, wouldn't stun me if he's out game five as well. But certainly the Hawks uh, were not able to take advantage of that in this spot coming into the night the hawks were actually only one and a half point underdogs our friends at bet online made them one and a half point underdogs so really a coin flip kind of game and really i kind of thought the hawks had a pretty good chance in game four playing at home no lowry with capella back um, for the first time in the series the hawks were the, were the healthier team in this game but uh no such luck let's just say so 
to the game itself. They use the starting lineup that they actually use a lot with the regular season this year. The first time since March 11th, but it was Young, it was Herter, Hunter, uh, Collins at the four, and then Capella at the five. It was the first time the Collins had played any four in the entire series. He only played only played center so far with him and Kongwu playing the entire first three games with all 48 minutes with those two guys at center. They lean more defensively against a group for Miami that has Tucker and Bayon Adebayo playing together. There is a little bit of a question with that group right now with John Collins' finger issue. Um, if they can have enough spacing on offense, but Collins did make two threes and uh, they were uh, okay with the starters. It was not, that wasn't necessarily the issue in this game. It was kind of every other lineup did not, did not go very well for the Hawks in this game over the bench unit, but they were always competitive there. And I thought it was a, it, it made some sense. There was some surprise I saw on Twitter about Capella starting, but really he had not been out very long. He was definitely limited in this game in terms of uh, minutes restrictions, but given that he usually starts and is used to that. And also you want to play him against Bam and against some big lineups from Miami. I kind of like that um, approach overall. Capella, as far as his performance was concerned, not the same burst, but did have an early second chance point um, after a rebound and also changed a couple shots defensively at the rim. Uh, a good start for DeAndre Hunter, who actually led the team in scoring in this game. DeAndre had 24 points. Nobody else had more than 12. Uh, he had 11 points in the first five and a half minutes. And uh, as crazy as this sounds, that 11 points that he scored, again, in five and a half minutes would have tied for the team lead until the, uh, until Kevin Knox came in in garbage time. Just kind of crazy stuff that just a lack of scoring punch elsewhere. I don't think Hunter was fantastic, which, which we'll come back to, but he, he was the only guy on the roster that really made shots in this game until Kevin Knox came in. So that's, uh, that, that's a point in his column, obviously. Early on, the Hawks made four, four of the first six threes, and the rest of the game, they were only 11 of 36, and uh, that included four of six from Knox. So it was kind of, they went very, very quiet after that. There was an ankle tweak from Trey Young early in the first quarter, about six minutes to go or so, when he kind of got tied up tight with, with game, Gabe Vincent. Um, that became a theme, of, and lots of questions about this during the game to me, after the game to Trey and to Nate. No one uh, would sort of acknowledge that he was like really banged up here. Um, I think because Trey was not good, and we'll come back to that later on, but uh, it was one of the more baffling performances from Trey and he's had in his career. And I say that as someone who thought Trey should be on BA without any question this year. He's had a great season. He was not good in this game. Um, and I wonder if at least some of that had to do with him, with him tweaking that leg and that foot, and that ankle, whatever it is, uh, late, uh, sorry, late in the first quarter. But from uh, that point forward, and really even before that, he was not really himself in this spot. It is worth just kind of noting that that happened as a point of uh, interest, and we'll see how he's listed on the injury report as of uh, as of Game 5, or at least as of Monday night before Game 5 on Tuesday. Uh, rotationally, no huge surprises for Atlanta in this game. With Capella back, they played nine guys in the competitive portion. Bidonovich and Wright came in about eight minutes after the tip-off. That is way too long, again, for Bidonovich to sit. Um, I will say on that side, he was not good in this game nor was most people. Um, but in general, I don't understand, as I said a little bit on Friday, that I don't really get the Bogdanovich sitting for that long at the start of the first and third quarters. It just kind of caps his upside and how much he can play. But uh, DeLon came in with him. They used Collins at center a couple times in this game, um, even with Capella and Okongwu both healthy. But then uh, Collins had some foul trouble early on. They went to Okongwu as a result of that. All nine guys played in the first nine minutes, so uh, no holding back there. It was clearly they were going to use all nine of those guys. Gallinari was the last guy coming in. He played, he actually played the least of those of those guys. But actually, Gallo was plus four, and nobody else was in the positive. It's kind of funny. I'm not sure how good he was, but he played in this game and at least had some success when, when, when he when he was playing. The Hawks were uh, down early, but actually ended up coming back and taking a one-point lead at the end of the first quarter. In a game they lost by a million points, they were leading in this game. And Miami, as was a theme the entire game that we'll probably come back to a couple times, Miami didn't shoot well. In this game, as crazy as that is for a 24-point home loss, the Heat did not shoot well really at any point 
in this in this context. It was just everything else. They won every other piece of the game, uh, and obviously, and honestly, it's, the Hawks shot even worse than he did. So it wasn't like they were uh, without blame there, but still, kind of a crazy little thing there. I thought the Hawks benefited a little bit from a bad stretch from Caleb Martin for the Heat, who was very bad in this game. I thought for Miami, but. Um, even in the midst of Bam Adebayo coming out of having a pretty bad series, they just haven't been able to kind of take advantage of all of that. But between Martin and Tyler Hero was dreadful, I thought, for Miami. It just didn't matter because everybody else um, played better. And then Jimmy Butler was, once again, very, very good for Miami in this game. Um, regardless, though, there was actually a pretty good sub I wanted to at least point out in, in his column. Maybe Millen took out um, – it's actually got Gallinari off the floor late in the first quarter on a defense-only possession. That was a good decision. It's it's a, it's, a, it's the playoffs. That's something you normally see in the first quarter. But on that possession, Okongwu had an awesome play at the rim, blocking Butler and turning into, into a jump ball to preserve a one-point lead at the end of the first quarter. The Hawks took a ton of threes early, which I thought was a good idea. McMillan kind of decried the settling that he called, um, and he called it um, offensively in this game. But I thought the Hawks took a lot of threes that were decent looks early in the game and shot pretty decently on them in the first quarter. Took care of the ball in the first quarter, Hunter had those 11 points. But uh, from basically that point forward, the Hawks were, uh, let's just say, minus 25 in the last three quarters. And that's with the bump up from Knox down the stretch. So uh, pretty ugly stuff there all around. Um, with the lack of fourth quarter intrigue, we're going to break here before the second quarter. We'll come back to uh, the game flow portion of this podcast in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. This time of year, my schedule is pretty crazy. I started taking Athletic Greens because I actually wanted to be healthier, have more energy, and wanted to see what all the fuss is about, quite frankly, with Athletic Greens. And I've been on AG1 for weeks, and I absolutely love it. AG1 does not taste like a typical thing that's actually healthy for you. I really look forward to taking AG1 each and every morning. It's the first thing I have when I wake up, and with just one delicious scoop of AG1 from Athletic Greens, you're absor- absorbing all kinds of high-quality minerals and vitamins and superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, to help you start your day on the right note. They have a special blend of ingredients to support your nervous system, your immune system, your gut health, your energy, and it gives you the ability to focus and recover. And AG1 also costs you less than $3 a day, and you're investing in your health. It's really cheaper than your cold brew habit, which I certainly have one of those myself. And AG1 also supports better sleep quality and recovery, as well as mental clarity and alertness. They have over 7,000 five-star reviews, and it's recommended by professional athletes right now. And it's time to claim your health and an arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we head into the flu and cold season this year. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health and make it easy on you as well. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Take ownership over your health and pick up your ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, and things got off the rails a little bit in the second quarter. And uh, if you wanted to sort of circle one period in this game, it was definitely that one. If you wanted to find out where the uh, where the plot was lost for Atlanta, fifteen points in the second quarter. That is uh, not not something you can really live with if you're the Hawks. And hilariously, the Hawks had a 9-0 run in a quarter that they lost thirty to fifteen. So the best little stretch of the entire game on the scoreboard was early in the second quarter in a quarter they got killed in because they had a 9-0 run. It was DeLon writing a three. Gallo had five points in a row. DeLon was just great in that stretch, making things happen as he always does. And they were plus five in the non-tray minutes in the early portion of the second quarter. When they brought him back in, they actually tried Collins and Okongwu for the first time together. That did not very, work very well because Capella came back in pretty quickly. They stuck with Collins with three fouls, but um, had a really bad turnover in the backcourt. Um, that Collins threw the ball away in pretty ugly fashion. And also, I will say, if you watch the replay, there was no one helping Collins to actually get open. Could have been a timeout, could have been something else, but uh, Collins took the worst option of, of the three options there and uh, ended up with a three-point play by Butler. But that was part of a 15-0 run 
about Miami to go from the Hawks up by eight. Again, the Hawks up by eight points in the first half of this game. And then the, when that was over, they were down by seven, and then and they never led again from that point forward. A couple close misses from the Hawks. At, I will say during that stretch, the Hawks missed a bunch of – I won't call them flat-out bunnies – but they shot a very poor percentage inside of like six, seven feet in that stretch. They just definitely hurt them. Um, the Hawks got to the line after they got in the bonus a bunch, but they were actually randomly terrible at the line in this game. Add that to the list of uh, weird performances from the Hawks, but they were 5 of 11 in the early going and finished this game 11 of 20 from three. That is, sorry, from the free throw line. That is dreadful stuff. Uh, and it actually was the perimeter guys. If I told you only that, you would assume that, you know, Capella was like two of eight or something like that. Nope, didn't take one. Congo was two of two. It was the perimeter guys in the free throws of this game. Kind of a weird, weird subplot. Didn't matter, I guess, in the end, but man, kind of frustrating stuff there. Collins got his fourth foul in the first half, had to sit out for a long time. Bogey sat for a while too. I'm not sure why he didn't play more in the first half, but he was also bad, so that definitely matters. But I think it's proven that he should be playing more than that. Uh, 12 minutes in the first half is just not enough for him. And overall, including that 15-0 run, it was a 26-4 Miami Heat run at the end of the first half to go from the Hawks up eight to the Hawks down 14 at the half. They scored four points in the final seven minutes, and that's with Trey on the floor. So, like, as I mentioned before, the Hawks were plus five without Trey in the first half, and they were down by 14 at the half. That is really, really not usually what happens for this Hawks team, and also it's quite bad. And uh, the offense just kind of totally cratered. Again, four points in seven minutes at the end of the first half. The second quarter overall was really gross. They were 5 of 22 from the floor, 2 of 10 from three, and 3 of 7 at the line. A 95 offensive rating in the first half on its own. Um, the Hawks, according to cleaning the glass, which is a fantastic service, by the way, was five. Of, they were 5 of 15 inside 14 feet in the first half. That is really dreadful. Uh, Hunter was the only guy that scored more than six points in the first half, but he didn't score the last 18 minutes of the half. So, uh, yeah, that tells you that tells the story there. Trey Young, we'll come back to him later on more even, but uh, this is the first time per ESPN Stats and Info that he had only taken one two-point attempt and no free throws in an entire half in his career since the – sorry, since December 2018. So that was his rookie season. And, uh, spoiler alert, he only took – one free throw in the game, and it was a technical foul free throw, and only one two-point attempt in the game. He has never in his career, again, one more time, never in his career taken only one two-point shot and one free throw in a game, and that happened in this spot for Trey. In the first half, Young, Bogdanovich, and uh, Herter were 2 of 15 from the floor. They just cannot overtake that. Obviously, they can't really overcome that. And then defensively, this is going to come back later on as well, but Miami did not shoot well, but they were 12 14 at the line. They had no turnovers in the first half. Miami had zero turnovers. The first time in Miami Heat playoff history that they did not have a turnover in a half. That tells you the story there. Um, second half, obviously a little bit off the rails. The third quarter was the uh, consequential portion of the game when the Hawks were still alive. They were, got back within eight quickly after they had a nice little start to the second half. As I mentioned before, the, 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 the starting lineup was actually decent at times in this game. Bogey came in a little earlier than usual in the third because Hunter got had to leave the game with some, some sort of injury issue. He came back in, so I'm not really sure what that was about, but he sat out for a while. Uh, Bam Adebayo got his fourth foul. It was like, all right, the Hawks have some chances here. They're within 10. They're within eight. And then Miami had a, had a 9-0 run to put the Hawks back down by 17, and that was kind of it. Um, Turned by Trey there, a bad shot by Hunter. Miami, Miami made four straight shots, including one where uh, Trey got taken advantage of in the post by P.J. Tucker. I will say in Trey's defense – the one of the two, one of the two turnovers was a terrible charge call that I can't believe they made. If you watch the replay, it was just not even close to being a charge or really barely any contact at all. 
there was some dust-ups in this game. Um, some histrionics between Tucker and Akongwu ended up with technical foul on Tucker. Um, but then Trey missed the free throw, so no impact on the scoreboard there. And then later in the game, Trey and Oladipo got a double technical foul in which Trey kind of downplayed it, but uh, there was some jawing going on there as well. They were down 16 late in the third, even with some decent defensive possessions. But then, um, unfortunately, Miami kind of stopped scoring at times in the third, but the Hawks also could not make up the difference by scoring on their own. And then Max Drews, to his credit, made a pretty crazy shot at the end of the third quarter. The Hawks down by 19 points. They scored 35 points in the middle quarters, and they shot it better in the third. They actually had six turnovers as well, giving it all back. And uh, needless to say, it never got any better. I didn't love this. Uh, it is also typical of McMillan, so I want to say that out loud. It wasn't like it was out of the ordinary, but the Hawks used their typical bench lineup early in the fourth quarter. And down by 19 in a game that you could certainly say was a virtual must-win uh, to avoid a 3-1 deficit at home, I don't understand that lineup. Uh, I understand that it's what he does, but uh, you see other coaches sort of adjust in that spot and go kind of, you know, knowing the situation and having to get back in the game, uh, having Trey Collins and Capella off the floor and Gallinari on the floor with what he was playing in that stretch was uh, questionable, let's just say. Um, once the Hawks were down by 20 with nine minutes to go, they brought in Young, Wright, Herter, Hunter, and Collins, which is a more competitive lineup. It didn't really work, obviously. Uh, Hunter turned it over, and then after that, Miami had a three-point play that was kind of a big play, big swing, kind of sl- kind of slammed the door. And then when it got to 26, with like six minutes to go, it was basically over at that point. Kind of bizarrely, they brought Capella back in. I don't know why. I'm not saying they had to punt the game there because, you know, it's a playoff game. I get that. But they brought Collins out of the game and did not put a Kongu back. I'm not saying that, you know, it is what it is. But Capella off an injury did not need to be playing in this game with six minutes to go down 26 points. Uh, kind of just a strange one. And it's kind of fitting, though, because Nate does that sometimes. It's kind of a little, bit, a little bit of a weird quirk that he has. But it got to 21 briefly when Hunter scored five points in a row, but that was kind of it. And then they waved the white flag with the uh, third unit coming in, uh, the Knox, Jang, TLC, uh, Scholar Mays group, um, and, and like Joe Johnson, I should say. And the only headline there was that uh, Kevin Knox took six shots, made four threes in the, four, in the final four minutes. And uh, here's the craziest out of the night. And I'm not with a lot of crazy stats. Kevin Knox played four minutes in a playoff game and was the second leading scorer for the Atlanta Hawks tonight with 12 points. Uh, the only other guy in double figures other than DeAndre Hunter was Collins with 11. Uh, just a wild one. Trey had nine points. We'll come back to him later on too, but uh, a mess, let's just say, to be uh, clean about it and uh, sort of describing that in a very short form fashion. As for the big picture of the team-based stats and observations here, the offense was just not good enough throughout this game. They had about a 90 offensive rating when the uh, – White flag was waved in the fourth quarter. Um, that is obviously not going to be good enough to be anybody, much less a, a high-profile team at home. Um, even with Knox hitting four threes, the numbers were not great as a shooting team. But before that, 30% from the three for the, uh, not for the extra competitive portion. That tells the story there pretty bad. Um, even when you include everything else, 45% on twos, that is also very poor. They were 11 of 20 at the free throw line. That is their worst percentage of the entire season, 55% at the line. And again, that wasn't like they had an outlier Capella game. They had, um, it was the perimeter guys. Everybody missed free throws except for Gallinari. Hunter, two of four. Collins, one of two. Herder, one of two. Bogey, two of four. DeLon Wright, two of four. All those guys are good free throw shooters. They just did not make shots. And Trey was 0 of 1. So, uh, yeah, brutal stuff there. Uh, They were okay on the glass. That's the only thing I can say about their offense that was at least reasonable in this game. But they turned the ball over 15 times um, after only, only three or four in the first half. So, double digits in the second half. You can't have that if you are the Hawks. And then defensively, I think it was better than the offense. That's a, uh, a small consolation, to be fair. But it was better than the offense. Again, Miami did not shoot well. 
as crazy as that sounds, for a team that had a 125 offensive rating in the game, Miami didn't shoot well. They shot 43% from the floor and 31% from three. That is, if you only tell me that in this game, I use that device a lot, but it certainly applies here. If all you know is that Miami shoots that, I would have told you the Hawks probably win this game. As crazy as that might sound. If all you know is Miami shot the ball as poorly as they did, and I, you know nothing else, didn't watch the game, I would say, given that the Hawks were at home and at full strength or always close to it, I would have said, you know what? The Hawks are a pretty big favorite if Miami shoots like, shoots like that. And the Hawks lost by 24 points. So that tells you everything else went very badly for Atlanta. Um, for instance, Miami, 15 offensive rebounds and 26 second chance points. For reference, the league leaders averaged like 16 or 17 per game. They scored 26 second chance points. Seven turnovers for Miami in the game. Uh, that is usually Miami's number one problem offensively. In fact, if you look at their numbers for regular season, Miami's number one issue offensively is their lack of ball security. And they had less than half of the turnovers from the Hawks. I've said this a lot in the series, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but for the Hawks to win the series in individual games, they need to have a huge advantage in ball security. That's the Hawks' number one attribute on offense is they're awesome at that. The Heat struggle in it, and the Hawks turn over to the ball over double the times of Miami. You cannot have that happen in this spot. So we'll get into all of the individual breakdowns in a moment, but just broadly speaking, it was not good enough on either end of the floor. The offense was even worse than the defense, uh, kind of inexplicably so. And for a team in the Hawks that has relied on their offense all year long, again, a legitimately lead offense to have them go out there and score well under a point per possession in the biggest game of the season is, especially at home, is uh, kind of catastrophic, particularly without Lowry. Because uh, on paper, Miami is worse defensively without Lowry than they are normally. And they still just kind of completely overhauled the Hawks in this game. They had no answers really throughout this one. And uh, usually their answer, their bailout guy is Trey Young. He didn't have it either. And Bogey didn't have it either. And, you know, on, on the line. But really rough stuff from the Hawks at a bad time. We'll talk about more in a moment. But first, we'll get into, before we get into the player stuff, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. And really, I made it a goal this year to eat actually better and right overall. I'm having a decent amount of success with that. And the biggest part of that is Built Bar. In some ways, it's actually quite a bit easier for me because I actually enjoy eating Built Bar. They have the protein-infused puff bars that are awesome. It's all the other fan favorites that I've been talking to you about for quite some time from Built Bar. And each and every bar has 100% real chocolate. That makes a huge difference. They taste fantastic. And the texture is also quite appetizing. On top of that, Built Bar is low-calorie and high-protein. You can easily replace your candy bars with Built Bars, both and taste and to improve your overall nutrition. And Built.com has all the answers for you on the nutrition side of things. You won't believe what you see. And most bars have only four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. Built Bar also has a ton of different flavors like coconut almond. It's a longtime favorite. Cookies and cream is my personal go-to. Lemon, lemon almond cheesecake, etc. And new flavors coming all the time. I've tried them all and really they're all delicious. Best way to check out all the stuff from Built Bar is go to Built.com. When you get there, use the promo code LOCK15. If you do that, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, that is promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. All right, and the player evaluations are pretty grisly in this one, as you might expect. Uh, with all respect to Kevin Knox, who made four threes, and shouts to him for doing that. I'm not going to add too much analysis on the third string guys, but um, the bench was uh, better than the starters at times. In fact, their first run, again, they were plus five in the first non-tray minutes. Uh, DeLon, I thought, played pretty well overall, had 7.7 rebounds, to actually tied for the team lead in rebounds uh, in only 26 minutes, uh, two assists, defensively had a block and was pretty active. Uh, I think of everyone on the roster, he might have played the best basketball in, in this game. Maybe Hunter, you could say, because of the scoring, which we'll come back to later on. But I think uh, DeLon was pretty decent. Still not, not even his best, but certainly he was uh, at least okay. 
Bogey was a non-factor. I don't know if he is banged up. In fact, McMillan got a lot of questions after the game about injuries. He basically just kind of no-commented all of them. I speculated during the game, and it is speculation. I want to stress that Bogdanovich did not look like himself. I'm not sure. Uh, in fact, I know he's been on the injury report a lot this year. He's He's been playing through it, but he looked a step slow. I don't know if that was just like fatigue or what, but he might have been banged up. I'm not sure. He was very, very bad by his standards. Four points on um, eight shooting possessions. Just kind of a non-factor in this game. Only one assist. Uh, minus 10 just didn't have it and didn't play a lot either. Uh, Okongwu took a step back after a big performance in game three, and he was huge on the stretch, as was Wadonovich in their win on Friday. But um, Okongwu was much quieter in this one. Four points, five rebounds, did have a block, and, and that was a great play on Butler, but uh, not too much to speak of there. Gallinari uh, actually, again, had the, had the best plus minus on the team at plus four, but nine points, seven rebounds in 15 minutes, but it was 0-4 from three. Uh, you know, I think he was better in this game than he has been previously. But uh, and rebounding wise, he was very, he was definitely a help. But uh, on the three point shot stuff was not great there. It's he, he kind of has to shoot his way out of defensive issues in the series, and it didn't quite happen in this game. But I think he was not the problem to if you want to at least be charitable there to the starters. Uh, the one positive on the stat sheet was DeAndre Hunter, 24 points to lead the team comfortably on only 15 shot attempts. So he was efficient in this game. And again, I want to I want to stress this now. He was the only guy that made shots for the most part. Um, and there, there's some value in that. At the same time, he's actually a game worst minus 29. I don't know how you always square those things. I do think that he didn't play particularly well. He just made shots, which again, the shots matter. Um, he wasn't the problem necessarily, but I think that if you're looking at his numbers, it's like, all right, well, Hunter had a good game. I'm not sure that's the case. He made shots, definitely matters, um, and rebounded the ball finally. He didn't have a, a rebound in the uh, last six quarters. Uh, he didn't have a single rebound on Friday and only had one and was late in the first half in this one, but ended up with three, one assist, no tills, no blocks. Um Kind of a weird game for him. I'm not going to pile on it because, like, again, he was the only guy that made shots. But 24 points uh, is uh, all I can. That's all I got there from Hunter. I thought Collins was competitive, had some foul trouble. Obviously, not the same burst that he usually has. 11 points, um, two, only two rebounds. That kind of tells you the story there. Had a block, but uh, five fouls minus 23. Not a whole lot to speak of there. I think Capella, um, not his normal self either. But kudos to him for getting out there and playing. He didn't kill them by any means. I thought he was actually okay but uh, not 100% by any means either. Herter, uh, quiet, just didn't make shots in this one. He was uh, 0 of 2 from the floor. Uh, sorry, 0 of 2 from two-point range, 1 of 5 from 3. Did have four assists, which was uh, only one shy of Trey's number, but four turnovers as well. Didn't play particularly well either. And then Trey. So we'll stop here for a second and kind of do more on Trey than, the, than everybody else. I think I've done a good job stressing so far that most guys did not play well, so I'm going to say all of that one more time. Most guys on the roster did not play well this game. However, Trey Young's in a separate category. Trey Young is the superstar face of the franchise. And uh, while he might have been banged up, that is certainly the case. He kind of downplayed that. So he was in, he was in some pain, um, but that's all he would really give you after the game. There's certainly some room for that. But I will say, just broadly speaking, Trey was very, very, very bad by his standards in this game. And really, outside of the last four minutes in game three, where he was legitimately fantastic and won the game in a lot of ways, he's had a terrible series. Uh, we have to be honest about that. That's not me like picking on Trey. There's a different standard when you are the guy like Trey Young is. And I think everyone knows that's the case. Um, I saw probably a little bit more frustration from the Hawks fans than you really ever see with Trey uh, near the end of this game. Part of that's just the losing, but part of that is that he's had a bad series. So for the series, this is now four games. He's averaging 16 and a half points a game, uh, six assists, six turnovers. So he has exactly as many turnovers as assists for the series. And he's shooting 35% from the floor and 21% from three. You just can't have that. And again, there's no margin for error. That's worth pointing out is that um, part of the problem we talked about this a little bit in the preview of this series and preview of certain games, et cetera, 
is that the Hawks don't really have a plan B when Trey is bad, but they don't have it. They, they don't have a plan B. So the onus is on him. I thought he was extremely passive and like weirdly non-impactful in this game. The fact that he played 35 plus minutes and took one two point attempt and zero free throws that were not typical foul free throws is inexplicable and very bad. He had one rebound as well. Five turnovers, five assists. Like, I don't know. I don't want to go crazy about it. I'm not going to you know, rant and rave and do the first take stuff on Trey, but it wasn't good enough. Um, whether he was injured or not, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he is banged up. I want to be very clear. I'm sure he's banged up on some level. I'm sure Bogey is as well. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if Trey had some stuff done in the offseason. Like he's been playing through it. He's very, very tough. He's always out there, but he was too passive. He didn't attack enough off the dribble. Um, Post game, he kind of just said that, you know, he, he credited Miami and he should. Miami's done a great job on him. That has to be said. Miami's been awesome defensively in the series. You have to give them credit for that. But uh, the fact that he just he just had nothing going on, especially after halftime, it was, you know, usually when you see the Hawks kind of flailing a little bit, you'll see Trey almost be overly aggressive. And I would have preferred to see overly aggressive. Like there are times when I'll pick on his bad shot selection and he has some of those moments. It would have been a little bit almost assuring if he had taken some bad shots in the second half. Instead, he kind of just went the other way and was very passive, kind of just deferring way too much. And they had no chance to overcome that. So uh, that that's all I have on, on the individual players. But from top to bottom, uh, you could say some guys are better than others for sure, but uh, not a whole lot of positives along the way. And overall, uh, they, they were bad inside the arc. They were bad at the rim. And then uh, if you want to get a little bit just like kind of simplistic about it, the fact that um, basically all of their perimeter scorer slash shooter guys didn't have it at the same time, uh, you know, combined Trey, Herter, and Bogdanovich, I believe were five of 24 from the floor. And I think four of 18 from three. They're not going to win games like that, particularly with, with with the state of play for Collins and Capella being not healthy. It's just kind of a perfect storm, and the offense was just terrible uh, by Hawk standards, really by any standards in this game. So from here, the question that I got from everybody after the game or people maybe even assuming that, uh, that the series was over, I said this before game four, and I said, look, if they lose after game four, I'm not going to tell you the series is over because I don't believe that's the case. Uh, this was as bad as it possibly could have been. They got absolutely worked at home. It was, it was an embarrassing performance in a lot of ways, but it's not over because this Hawks team does have upside. We saw that in, at the end of game three. Now, I'm not going to lie to anybody. This is a very, very difficult stretch ahead. You have to now win twice on the road in Miami and you have to win game six at home. You also have to overcome shortness of your rotation when it comes to guys being not 100%, whether it be Collins, whether it be Capella, maybe maybe even Trey and Bogdanovich now. We'll see. Um no betting line up that I have seen. I'm going to check one more time right now. I will tell you that our friends at 538, who do, who do more of a statistical model projection, uh, have a pretty pessimistic projection for the Hawks at this point. That's the only thing that I can see that's available right now because it's in real time. They give the Hawks a 5% chance to win the series. I might be a little bit above that at this point, but certainly not a super high percentage. They have to do a lot of work. Obviously, they have to uh, win on Tuesday. So that's the next, that's the next task on, on the agenda for the Hawks is Tuesday night. It's an early tip-off, 7 o'clock start in Miami, and they'll have a chance to uh, overcome some stuff in that game. If they play well, then they have a chance to win. If they don't play well, they'll be going home on Monday uh, sorry, on Tuesday evening. So we'll cover that game in detail. I'm planning to do a show in between that with some uh, more broad takeaways, some more analysis, hopefully with a guest in between now and Tuesday. So please subscribe to the podcast. I want to say, I know if you're watching this, this watching or listening this far into the podcast after a loss, you were probably a diehard. So thank you very much. But I've uh, really been great support that I've seen on the podcast, both on YouTube as well as Apple, Spotify, et cetera. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. But uh, please keep following the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Please follow me if you'd like to at BT Rolling. One more, please subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, 
I will have another podcast, at least I'm hoping to, between now and game five. Best way to find the show always is to, to subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you next time.